Hey everyone, this is Rob from Four Songs. I'm finally back. Yeah, I know, it's been a while, hasn't it? You know, sometimes life just gets in the way and you just gotta go with it. And just so everyone knows, it's looking like these will be monthly episodes for a while, and maybe twice a month, that's gonna be rare, but you never know. There might be times when I can squeeze in a few quick ones every now and then, so just stay tuned. And of course, the best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe to this podcast or follow me on Twitter, which is at Four Songs 2. That's at Four Songs Numeral 2. Anyway, I know you're not here to listen to me now, are you? Let's get to the latest episode of Four Songs, and this one's a good one. So think back way, way, way back in time, like the early to mid-90s, you know, 20, almost 30 freaking years ago, good lord. I used to DJ for my college radio station. You know, back then it was hard to tell if anyone was listening because there was no internet, there was no Twitter, no texting, no instant messaging or any of that stuff. So, you know, the only way you'd find out if someone was actually listening is if they called in to tell you. Sometimes, you know, just to be sure, I'd play the same song over and over again until someone actually called in because, you know, you don't want to be playing for nobody, right? Anyway, one time I was doing this and a listener actually called in and they had a request and it wasn't stop playing that damn song. Actually, this one was a good one. He wanted to hear a song from Dar Williams' latest album. Now, there's a lot I don't remember from my college days, but let me tell you, one does not forget the first time they heard Dar Williams. Now, for those who don't know, Dar's recording career spans much of my adult life, starting way back in the early 90s with albums like I Have No History and All My Heroes Are Dead. She took on the folk rock mantle from her heroes like Joan Baez, Joan Mitchell, Jim Croce, among others, and carried it into the 90s and beyond. In fact, Dar's song, You're Aging Well, which is on her 1993 album called The Honesty Room, led to a career-defining relationship with Joan Baez, who also recorded the same song and invited Dar to join her on tour. In fact, Joan Baez became a mentor for her, and now that Dar is about the same age when they met, she finds herself in a similar footing to Joan Baez was back then. So it's appropriate that here we are, more than 25 years later, Dar revisit the song You're Aging Well on her latest album called All Me You Hear, which was released today, October 1st. So in this episode of Four Songs, Dar talks about how much has changed and how much hasn't in her life and career since she first recorded You're Aging Well. We also discuss the album's opener, Time Be My Friend, a soothing number about learning to work with rather than against the march of time. And we explore two gorgeous ballads, the sparse magical thinking and the waltzy reflective Berkeley. All throughout, Dari calls how she got started writing songs in the first place, and she dishes on how disco and show tunes played key roles in her development. Listen in as she discusses her approach to her craft, her influences, and how and where she'll be touring over the next few months. I am Rob Thormeyer, and it is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome Dar Williams to Four Songs. Well, thank you, Dar, for joining me for Four Songs. It's an honor to have you here. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me. So I understand that you're about to start touring. What's that looking like now with this, this variant? I know it's tough for everybody, but at the same time, we, we need live music more than ever. Yeah, you know what? I was just doing a, a live taping in um, West Virginia, which is a big hot spot, and everybody was masked all the time except when they weren't on stage like I wasn't wearing a mask for 10 minutes before I went on stage just to get a little extra oxygen and I hung out way in the back of the stage and still people were looking at me like no not cool (laughs) which is great and and the audience not only was all masked but they were masked correctly so I really think I think the way this goes is if unless you are 
trying to do an active pushback, we're okay. But if you're seeing this as, as you know, a conspiracy or, or something and, and a challenge to your freedom and, and refuse to do all those things, then we have a problem. But if you just want to hear live music and want to do these things, we're not hearing about any cases. And there's a lot of things that people do that are very careful and they stick to it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are precautions that you take either way, whether, you know, it's where you're going. I mean, it's got to be hard to kind of keep up with the different cities. It's like it's different city to city, state to state. Yeah, but we're not. Well, and there are a couple of hotspot states that we're not going to. Actually, many, most, all of the hotspot states we're not going to. So that's the other variable is is the vaccination rates in the places that we're going to. But also, we're like not allowed to talk to anybody. We're, we have to <laughs> just talk to ourselves <laughs> and be in this little band pod. And every time I say, you know, really? Uh, my manager says, all right, or you can be, you know, in the middle of a state like you know pennsylvania or iowa in a motel for two weeks quarantined with the rest of the band paying for them <laughs> not doing shows how about that so i think everyone's kind of heard that alarm bell and um that's why the musicians across the board are being very careful yeah well good so i hope to to see you when you're in the dc area and, oh uh, yep we'll yeah. be there so this is a, a podcast about songs and songwriting, and you've been in this industry for three decades now. And have you taken stock of that just yet? Just how, how you've been so good for so long? I mean, has that <laughs> hit you at all? I mean, I'm just wondering, is, you know. N- no, I, <laughs> no. but the pandemic time, you know, the, the time that I was locking down, it's funny, I have a song called empty plane where, where this person is is kind of you know she's at an airport but it's not really an airport it's kind of a a way station where she suddenly realizes that this might just be it you know they're just you know it's a one-way ticket that she's taking and won't come back and and she's saying you know sort of to herself I or what is this I always thought that I was going to figure out what this all meant you know, I, I assumed that I was traveling all over the place and, and that at some point I would make sense out of it and create this narrative and, wow, maybe I won't. And so uh, I think that the pandemic was a good time to kind of look at the narrative of what had happened, which I like to do anyway, but mm-hmm. um, it was <laughs> a golden opportunity. I'm just wondering if, if the process of writing songs, is does that get easier or is there a... No. You know, the idea that there's some person out there with, you know, big judge robes and a big wig and a gavel, you know, who's there to say this is good or this is bad, that voice diminishes. Um, But the, um, you know, or you you know how to say, yes, I'm sure that some voice in my head is going to say, this is too long, too short, too, you know, too derivative, too slow, doesn't need to be in the world, you know, just keep on writing the song and finish it and see what you think on the other side. So, there's that that happens and you get better at encountering that voice and just knowing that's a part of it. You know, I mean, there's going to be a part of uh, everybody that's afraid to put something into the world because, you know, you're asserting yourself, you're putting yourself to the edge of the herd, you know, but then there's this other part of you that even though you've gotten more used to fending off the, the, they don't do this voice, life is more complicated. So every, every metaphor and everything that you're thinking about is, more nuanced and more interestingly shaded and and 
it's it's I find myself with five songs right now that I don't know how to finish or even, you know, get into the meat of because they could go in all these different directions. And I think that is more a reflection of getting older and, and life being more interesting and more complicated and harder to to pin down in a in a you know, in a path of a narrative. Now we'll get into the new album I'll meet you here very soon, but You've made no secret of your love for your influences like John Baez and John Prine and others. Who would, who's out there that we'd be surprised that you listened to maybe when you were 11 or made you kind of write those first songs that, you know, we don't hear you talk about much in terms of an influence. You know, there were three things going on in my household growing up. One was classical music that my dad would play, you know, just especially in the basement, he would play opera and sing along. (laughs) His voice coming up through the, the floorboards and then, and that gave me a, a really a, a big love for melody, like rich melody and rich arrangements and harmony. And then then there was my parents' folk rock collection that was alphabetized. So there were a lot of B's and C's like Judy Collins, Jim Croce, Joan Baez, uh, you know, a little Bob Dylan, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was, and then you would kind of have to dash down to the Simon and Garfunkel or the Mamas and the Papas, but it was very harmonic very groovy, very, you know, earthy folk rock that we loved. And then, you know, it was disco and pop music. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, we've come back to visit disco to to recognize. I mean, I doubt it's really anywhere specific in my writing, but, you know, beautiful music that makes you want to move and dance and, and move you, whatever the lyrics are, it's, is definitely in me and all of my folk friends. So, so that was there too. And, and then we also listened to a lot of show tunes because of course I thought I wanted to be a playwright. So mm-hmm. I, I used to choreograph musicals in my parents' living room, like when they went to sleep. Mm. <laughs> I remember choreographing like to life, to life, like I am, uh, from, um, filler on the roof, uh, and, you know, really, you know, jumping on the couch and coming up with all this stuff. So that's there too. That's, I think that's, that covers a lot of it. So your new album, I'll Meet You Here, which comes out in October, a lot of new songs and it's great material. So you've described this as meeting life or life meets you. And, you know, as someone who has tried to control everything and realizing that it's really hard that you can't. So it seems like the theme is just embrace it and just stop trying to control everything that's not, you can't control. Is that about that right? Yeah, and I've also realized something else, which is, you, it's not that you can't control it. It's that you, yeah, you stop, you just assume that that stuff is going to happen. Like when I do a gig, this is, these are things that are always going to happen. And I keep on thinking, no, if I just, you know, take more vitamins or I eat better, or I organize my car better, these emotional things won't, won't happen. But you know, I'm going to show up at a gig. It's a new place. I'm going to feel disoriented. I'm not quite going to know what to do with myself. It's just going to feel ambiguous. That's just not going to change. And then I'm going to be getting ready to go on the stage and I'm not going to know what's going to happen. Right. (laughs) So that's not going to change. And then I'm going to get off the stage and not be really sure what people thought for, you know, for sure, for sure. And I can't help that. And I think there was this little part of me that's like, if I just figure out how to do yoga or something, you know, I'll, I'll master this and I won't have these feelings. And then, and also I get home after a long drive and I'm kind of just out of it for the next day. And I just play a lot of solitaire for a while. And then I kind of get my head back together and 
you know, get back <laughs> into my skin. But like, that's just not going to change. And, and this idea that I could create little systems, you know, little pulleys and, and levers in my head to change that just went away during the pandemic. I just thought it was such a different experience of life to not be having that job. And then when I got back to it, I thought, oh, this is like, yeah, I'm just going to feel this way when I do gigs. It's fine. Don't, don't just go with it. Go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> so down, you, go for a walk. I was talking about four songs, so Time Be My Friend, Magical Thinking, Berkeley, and You're Aging Well. So we'll start with Time Be My Friend. And so this, again, kind of gets back to that general theme of just kind of <laughs> as it comes and it just sets a tone for the album i mean when you wrote this was just like okay here's the opener here we go is that how it works for you <laughs> i think so i th it was the first song that i wrote and okay. i was relieved because it was just you know it, it 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 pinned down something for me that i was it was after the book and i wasn't sure you know I, I call it like the handle you know you have like these ideas like oh i'll write a song about dinosaurs i'll write a song about chocolate souffle but without that handle of how you're going to get into that that thing a little melodic twist or a, a little of a, a phrase it's you just it just turns into thoughts <laughs> not a song so i time be my friend was that line came in time be my friend and i just thought what if i treated time like this friend that i had treated really badly whom I had treated badly. So, you know, by constantly saying like, if I do this, is this going to happen? If if this going to happen? So, um, I uh, I was able to sort of explore that theme and write the whole song, and then know that you know the the spigot was open and I could write other songs. I like just kind of how that you're just kind of accepting that, hey, I, maybe I haven't taken advantage of everything, but can't stop it. <laughs> so. Right, right, exactly. Like maybe I haven't, you know, uh, you just actually really nailed something. It's when you do something, there's this little thought that says, was I supposed to do something else? Was something else going to be better? And if you can quell that one, it's, uh, you know, it's then you have a relationship with time that you can actually live with. Because it's so relatable, because I mean, of all the things we want to control, it's probably time is the <laughs> biggest one, right? I mean, right, right. You can't think of anything else. And you can't, you know, you can just turn the clock off, but it's still, still ticking. And I like how that kind of, the, I guess I call it like a pre-chorus, the when I thought I was alone, you snapped your fingers and a tree came into bloom, which just shows you how, when you think about it, how fast time goes, especially as you get older, I mean. Mm -hmm. like just mm -hmm. last week, we were, I was in the office before the pandemic hit, and then I realized a year and a half later, I'm still at home. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Actually, the older we get, the more we figure that one out. Like, there is this kind of like, oh, I'm this age, and then someday I'm just going to, like, take a little trip and go to this island where I'm that age, and I look like that, and I think like that, and I'm that person. Like, you don't realize that it just happens gradually, and you wake up and and recognize that that's and sometimes you know you you hang with something and and then you wake up and say oh gosh this is this is it you know mm -hmm. like 
if I don't change now, <laughs> this is this is all that's going to be. <laughs> And uh, you got a duet at the end of this one. Who's singing with you? Gail Ann Dorsey. She is a wonderful vocalist, but she's best known as a very, very talented bass player who played with David Bowie and Lenny Kravitz and Gwen Stefani and and uh, Joan Osborne and me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what kind of spoke to you as like this needs a second voice on this as you were writing it? It wasn't in my writing. It's actually my manager's suggestion, but as soon as she said it, I thought it was a terrific idea and immediately thought of Gail. Time, I'll make it up to you this time And we'll go walking down that wide country road And I will be your brave companion your adventurous d'artagnan i will be your best receiver your goldenest retriever i'll remember what you taught me and those treasures that you brought me most of all a lifetime of friends it came together when i asked you to be one of them all time we're ready to kick off the album. Next song I want to just chat about is Magical Thinking, which is a beautiful, sparse number. I like how the, the soft keyboard that kind of opens it up. Mm. And the term magical thinking, though, isn't something you expect to hear on, like, on a rock album. <laughs> so just because it's kind of a, what's the term, like a philosophical, like kind of almost psychological term. And I know I engage in magical thinking myself, but what does it mean to you? It's, again, sort of not... Uh, if the album is all about sort of meeting time where it meets you, magical thinking is like if trying to engage in these little weird rituals <laughs> uh, that that will somehow control outcomes. And it was interesting, like actually being opt an optimist and and thinking that good things will happen, and you know figuring out little things I can do to create good outcomes. That's real, you know. And then. Uh, that's that's a magical thinking that's either not harmful or <laughs> or that you can kind of tinker with to to turn into to something that you want but when it comes to love you can't do that and and you find yourself doing more and more bizarre and unrelated little rituals to to just change the way a person thinks or feels or to get that information from them and and it's very poignant to me because you know my optimism actually is a is a really good thing in my life except when i am keep on you know except at that moment when you just realize that your eyes are shut <laughs> and um you're you're thinking for somebody else and i just wanted to create that moment of distinction between sort of optimism and delusion 
it's not a way to live You say the rock bed is dry You say the drought has got to give And I can see the rundown station Where the trees grow in the tracks Show me how the roof is caved in Okay, how do you... Because this, 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 the lyrics, I feel like, fit the song. It's pretty introspective. I mean, how does, does this song kind of come with your music first and then you put the words around it? Or how do you kind of set that tone? That one, I woke up, it was really subtle. And I was like making tea at <laughs> my stove and my nightgown. And I just went, I know all about this magical thinking that I know, you know, um, there's that line and then like very quickly I know all of that like it's when in doubt repeat as Tom Prasado Rao says and so uh I did that and then and it was and it was in that repetition it sounded like a person doing this thing called perseverance which is when you kind of just keep on circling around the same thought again and again and it's not going anywhere and you know it but you're stuck in it and so I you know I'll be waiting for the da 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 you know, like, like they keep on repeating the same thing over and over again, and it's not having a different income and the uh, outcome. And then I was at my friend's house, she's a beautiful house, and I said, you know, let me come up to your house while you're out and just be in another house writing a song. You know, she wanted to help me, and I said that would be really cool. And I remember sort of lying in this room with her dog jumping all over me and, and having that one line for the whole day, which was uh, that finds a you know, I know all about my magical thinking that finds a break in the stone. Mm. And, and I felt like, what a relief, you know, that that sort of says a lot without saying too much, because we're all trying to find a break in the stone, you know, just the cruelty of life. And um, it was a, so like one morning over tea, I came up with most of the chorus, and then at my friend Beth's house, last line, and then I was able to, you know, say, well, what happened? What are, what are these instances where I have believed in a ridiculous way and what are the ways in which it, it paid off, you know, and it was a good thing to hold out that hope. song just kind of subtly builds from there to the end just the music kind of gets a little stronger louder and mm -hmm. and then it kind of hits up that very end when it, it has an optimism that they're like hey so what <laughs> you know i'm naturally yeah. thinking but it works and yeah just... or, or it doesn't and then you leave <laughs> you know and then you and you say you don't have to don't worry like she says don't worry you know you don't have to push me away i get it I get that this was this was a this was magical thinking that had no magic in it, and um, and I will I'm just gonna linger and sort of be with knowing that hoping and believing and you know that I'm okay, and then I'll shove off. Even I know 
I really love this song and so I kind of engage in some negative magical thinking at times like oh if I had oh yeah yeah we we all do that too but it's good to hear kind of see the other side of like okay this can actually work (laughs) and and that's a good thing sometimes to to, to dream I mean that's healthy yeah well I have this I mean you know a good example for me would be that I'm constantly believing that we're going to hit this day where we're going to say we did it we you know clean up the air the land the the water we we balance the carbon in the air and we save the habitats. So biodiversity is saved. Like we, we figured it out and we did it. And I keep on meeting the people who do it. So I know, you know, who do that kind of thing. And I know that they work hard every day. And I, I have this optimism that we're going to be able to say that in about 10 years, like, Oh, we got to the brink, but we really did it. And I don't think there's any problem believing in that. In fact, I feel like it's essential, but a lot of people would say, that that's, you know, I know climate scientists who are like, gosh, I wish I had your optimism, you know, and, and they kind of have to pump themselves up with a bicycle pump to keep on mm-hmm. believing somehow. So I, I think it's a good thing to have that little battery pack of, of faith, yeah. um, <laughs> no matter what yeah. people say. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like you say, sometimes you, you just need it without that. Yeah. <laughs> with two more songs, I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about uh, Berkeley and this one really stood out to me because it's, I think it's one of the few that's about a time and a specific time and place mm-hmm, on this album. Mm-hmm. Is, is that about right? Because I know this is, seems like you mentioned you're in Berkeley earlier. And, I mean, this just puts you right there at a certain time. So curious how this one came to you. Well, Berkeley in the 80s, I'm not sure what, what the first line was, but Berkeley, I think it was that kind of weird, kind of carnivalish kind of melody, like, you know this kind of kind of um, circusy waltz you know the 60s was a big you know tambourine man kind of mystical (laughs) patchwork time and i was in berkeley in the 80s the late 80s but you know they were fighting tooth and nail to still be in the 60s and i loved that vision of the people around me and some people were you know shouting at invisible people and some people were very wise but in a very bizarre way that was worth entertaining and you know I was meeting friends who were you know blowing my mind or just telling me what a vegan was or something (laughs) so that was that and that was a really cool summer and then I went back on tour a lot of times and at one point sort of managed to get myself seduced (laughs) by someone that I ended up being involved with, but nothing was as strong as the time that we spent together in Berkeley. And it was almost like we were in the spell of a belief that two people who shouldn't have been together were, you know, that it worked. (laughs) It felt very true. And and there was a lot of, you know, giving each other bouquets of lavender and looking at the sunset, you know, from this or that vantage point with the smell of eucalyptus all around us. Waiting 
What I like about what I really love about this song is just the references. I mean, how you, you work in Ginsburg and, and <laughs> Howell and just like that doesn't happen by accident. So just the line about Howell is on trial and like how hard do you have to work on that? Because I know that's because you could that could have been like a throwaway line like where I got this book. But I mean, you that just the way that came around, like, wow, that's really good. I mean, well, thanks. I think I was, uh, you know, what what ha I mean, I lead songwriting retreats where I, I have sort of I've tried to turn this into sort of a pedagogy and I say, you know, okay, you've you have those first clues, you have that first line and it has a little feel and some colors and some kind of sense and you say, What's going on with me? Like what where could this be? Like, oh, this could be Berkeley, because that was a big sort of weird pageant of a time, kind of like this melody. And then you go and you go, okay, so what happened when I was there? Like, what happened? Where did I go? What did I see? And I love the way, you know, everybody w wanted to make the um, the pilgrimage to, to City Lights Bookstore, and which was where they read Howl at the end of the 50s, Allen Ginsberg, and then they got slapped with this obscenity suit. And it, then the store was owned by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. So it's like this famous poet and this other poet who's fighting for him. And, uh, and they won. And it's at the end of the 50s. And then the 60s cracks open, because it's like, you want obscene, we'll show you obscene. <laughs> like, let's get over this, like, Christian homophobic, what you know, all of this, this tight orthodoxy of the 50s, like, we're about to break it open. I feel like Berkeley holds on to that glory, that that time when they, they won. You know, when the alternative right. thinking won over conventional thinking. So it wasn't that hard to insert that quote unquote memory into the city as something that they're so proud of. By the bay waters, Berkeley's daughters called me to be an Aquarian child. I was the crazed model for somebody's novel Bought from the bookstore where hell was on trial And there we unraveled and dutifully traveled Out of our minds There we were out of our minds There going out of our minds To find something better Oh, well thank you so much for your time tonight Dar. i got one more song i'd like to talk about which you're aging well which again speaking of the past this one you've had for a while and it's your mm -hmm. second time recording it so I, I you were talking earlier about influences and in what it was like being young and, and writing songs what's it like to go back to something that you wrote on one of your first albums and then now as a you know 30 or however many years later it's still with you and what is that means a lot about the song itself that it can carry that long but for you as the writer and going back to it it would have been more of a mind blower if i had stopped playing it for a long time but you know i played it i i wrote the song and then i sang it as a duet with joan baez and then joan mm -hmm. took me around europe and through the united states which was all her i mean she she it was a huge gift and there are people who show up at my shows who went to a show on that tour i mean it's constant <laughs> so i'm always getting and people have birthdays and stuff so i'm always getting requests for that song um and 
and yet to answer your question, it's to go in very purposefully and say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to really feel that contrast between the first time I played this and now was wonderful. And I really felt that distance as a good thing. You know, there's so few times, you know, a lot of times you're like, oh, what happened to the time? I thought, no, a lot happened in that time. And it's good. It's, it's, it's my life is richer and, and more interesting. And it, it became that way because I'm, I've lived in that time and I'm older. And so the other thing that was really cool was to do all that math that we were doing in the studio where I realized that I was the same age recording it as Joan was when she took me on the road which, you know, she seemed so different. She was like, you know, a cool older sister. She was always like groovy, but um, she still seemed, you know, like in a different world. Well, she was, I mean, she's also incredibly famous. <laughs> but so we felt that, you know, that now I am in the same place that she was and how am I similar and, and what did I not know at the time? And it's also the 25th anniversary of, of writing and putting that song out. afraid saying you never can win watch your back where's your husband oh i don't like the signs that the sign makers made so i'm gonna steal out with my paint my brushes i'll change the directions i'll hit every street it's the dizzle down scandal the robin hood vandal she goes out and steals the king's image so one thing i'm curious about is when I think to songs I liked 25 years ago, and I was 20, I guess, I don't know. And, and when I hear them now, some resonate and some don't, but the ones that resonate just mean so much more to me. And I'm, I don't know why that is, but I'm doing as, as when you were listening, you know, as you, you wrote the song that many years ago, does, is there a line that you wrote then that you think now, like, wow, that, that resonates more now than when I first wrote it. Like, how did I, how was I that present? <laughs> Yeah, I would say like that, the, you know, she says, I'm so glad that you finally made it here with the things you know now that only time can tell. You know, that was a guess <laughs> when I was 26 or 27. But um, then it was, uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, that was the the whole the whole idea that, you know, you you kind of weave your voices together. And I think I probably knew that because I'd had therapy, <laughs> you know, that you have to kind of take the good and the bad and you weave it all together. And that's you, you know. But I think that 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 idea of, uh, um, you know, things that you know that you couldn't have known before 
resonates. I feel that that uh, that in inside, and also also just that idea of the woman of voices who comes around the corner. Like somebody I was talking to an artist, and she she'd been dealing with a really stalkerish um journalist who was like a friend you know had made herself a friend and stuff and I was very I had done that rodeo and and I said you know this is this is really what I want you to know that I experienced like this is going to go on for years if you don't stop it now and this is the way this they're going to get into your head and there was so much parallel stuff and she said you're so wise <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh i'm so glad that, that like horrible stalkerish experience is helping me i was just like oh i know what this is let me explain this to you this cannot happen and she's going to scream and she's going to yell and she's going to you know poison you to other people and you just stay the course and until she rinses out and it was so amazing to have this this young artist say like wow you know i really look up to you or something <laughs> I thought, oh this is called wisdom oh that's what it feels like all right good i'll try good then i will be wise well i know a woman with a collection of sticks she could fight back the hundreds of voices she heard she could poke at the greed she could fend off her need and with anger she found she could pound every but one voice got through and caught her up by surprise It said, don't hold us back, we're the story you tell And no sooner than spoken, a spell had been broken And the voices before her were trumpets and timpani Violins, basses, and woodwinds and cellos Singing, we're so glad that you finally made it here You thought nobody cared what we did we could tell and now you'll dance through the days while the orchestra plays and oh, 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 oh. well i want to thank you so much for your time tonight gar and so as we wrap up is i know you're about to hit the road or are you currently on the road i know you're got some i'm at home days. okay about to hit the road yet yeah. yeah so well best of luck with that how can folks yeah, I know folks can find you online and social media and all that, but is the best way to just find you on Twitter or, or Facebook? Or... All of the above. You really yeah. just can't get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, there's a Dar Williams website and, and uh, yeah, that's, um, I, I'm, I have great people who work with me and they really let people know where to find me and I'll be everywhere. Well, I'll be in, let's say mm, about 20 states over the next few months. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing you on the road. So, Thank you. Well, thank you again, Dar, for joining me. And for those who are interested in finding out more, you can go check her out at darwilliams.com. She's on tour, and if you're lucky enough and she's coming to your town, go check her out. I want to thank you again for listening. Thanks to Dar for joining me, and I will be back soon. Don't quite know when, but stay tuned because it'll be sooner than you think. Thank you. <laughs>